the, Lord, the word of the Lord for our message this morning. The first verse from 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all of you gathered here, those of you, those of you joining us through other methods of uh, media, may the knowledge that our Lord and Savior Jesus, the grace that he strengthens us with, is yours today. So are you feeling equipped yet? You know, we're in the ser- sermon series on the basis of our four uh, epistle lessons from last week through the next couple weeks from Second Timothy. And the title of that series, as perhaps you've seen, is called Equipped. So I'm wondering if you're feeling equipped. Last week we were told that we are equipped with power to endure suffering. And now today we are equipped with grace in order to remain faithful. But I've got a confession to make. I'm feeling somewhat equipped, perhaps. But reading the second Timothy's epistle straight through left me with a little bit of a case of schadenfreude. Let me explain, perhaps by means of this little video clip. All right, you can you can stop that. The human Good. drama of athletic competition. Wonderful. Did you see that guy wipe out on the ski jump? How many of you have seen that? Boys and girls, by the way, that's what I grew up with. We didn't have cable back then, and there was no ESPN, and there certainly wasn't HD. All right? But we heard Jim McKay's voice, and every week we'd watch and see that. By the way, that ski jumper has a name. His name was Vinko Bogataj. He was from Slovenia. And he wiped out on a ski jump in 1970 in that spectacular fashion. Schadenfreude is a German word, in case you weren't aware, that represents the pleasure that one might take in someone else's misfortune. Isn't that one of the reasons that we pay attention and watch sports? To see somebody else mess up or to see some fantastic crash or something like that? Or to be in a stadium when your arch rival's score is announced on the scoreboard as you're watching your home team and and your arch rival is playing somebody else and the score comes through that they have lost, what happens in the stadium? Mass cheering, that's schadenfreude. (laughs) Well, as I was reading through 2 Timothy, I couldn't help but be struck by that because of the number of people that Paul mentions specifically who apparently crashed and burned, who wiped out in terms of their spiritual life and faith. It's really quite tragic and sad 
But yet, I don't know about you, sometimes hearing about somebody else who made a terrible choice, who, who messed things up, maybe even worse than we have, gives us a little bit of comfort to know maybe we're not that bad. So I thought we'd take just a moment. If you'd like to have your sermon outline available to you, you certainly would be welcome to do that. And if you'd like to have your Bible open to see some of the names of these folks who we're referencing, that would be in 2 Timothy again. And so, um, in fact, we're gonna, there's a, a list of eight people that are mentioned specifically as being ones who I refer to as being the unfaithful. Now their names are foreign to us, and when I did some research in the scriptures and, and, and resources to try to find out more about them, it turns out that there's absolutely nothing to be known about most of these, other than what we hear here. We don't know who they were really or what exactly happened. But when I turned the assignment over to Dan Reinert, our media specialist at St. Lawrence, it was amazing what he was able to come up with. Because he was able to come up with some photographs, if you can believe it, from the archives of way back that would show these very individuals who we're going to be talking about. So for example, in chapter 1 verse 15 of 2 Timothy, we run into these two individuals that are called Phygelus and Hermogenes. And Mr. Reinert was able to find a picture of them. And they were some that had turned away from Paul in his time of need. There is also, in chapter 2, verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And they apparently were the bad boys of the, uh, of the faith back then because they had swerved from the faith. And was it not only that was that bad, but their talk spread amongst the Christians, Paul says, like gangrene. And as a result, others were being affected by it. Jonas and Jambres are mentioned in 3.8. Now for these, you have to go back actually to Moses' day because Moses, as you remember, approached Pharaoh about letting the people of Israel leave Egypt. And God gave him a staff and he was able to perform miracles with that staff. But Pharaoh's magicians likewise were able to perform some miracles as they opposed Moses. And tradition tells us that two of those individuals were named Janus and Jambres. And again, Mr. Reinert was able to find some pictures. It was amazing. That's in chapter 3, verse 8. And then there's this guy named Demas, perhaps the most tragic of all. 4, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, it says that Demas fell in love with the present world and deserted Paul when he needed him the most. And perhaps the most notorious of all, Alexander the coppersmith, mentioned in chapter 4, verse 14. It says that he did Paul great harm because he opposed the message of Jesus Christ. Now, kudos to Mr. Reinert for finding those photos. And we can have fun with that because they're people we don't know anything about. But actually... Their situation is far from a laughing matter because they are identified as people who did not remain faithful to the Lord. Some of them had been faithful followers and yet left the faith. Now, on your sermon outline, there's two words I'd like you to write down. 
Because on the one hand, I believe the reason that Paul mentions these individuals is so that we would be mindful of them. We need to know that this can, in fact, happen. Contrary to what some might say, someone who has been in the faith can, in fact, fall away and become unfaithful. And those of you who have experienced it yourself or have someone near and dear to you who is in that process know just how much of a burden that can be. We need to be aware of it. We need to guard against it in our own lives and those of our loved ones as well. It's real. But at the same time, I would think Paul also has a message for us that would tell us, don't meditate on them. In other words, don't get obsessed with those situations. Don't become so paranoid that you obsess about it. And certainly don't follow those examples. Be aware of them. But then involve the Lord in terms of pointing us in the direction of how to remain faithful. And that brings us to the second point in our outline, the quote, faithful. Because along with the list of the unfaithful in 2 Timothy, there's also a list of those who Paul pointed out for Timothy as being faithful. In chapter 1, there's a mention of a name of a man named Onesiphorus, and he's mentioned again later as having done wonderful things for Paul and the sake of the gospel. But perhaps those that were nearest and dearest to Timothy... We're also in chapter 1 where Paul mentions Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, responsible for teaching him the word, probably from when he was first born. Kind of like for our infants that were baptized today in their families and how so many of us have been raised knowing the scriptures from earliest on, knowing who Jesus is is. What a blessing for faithful parents and families. I share with you a photo of my grandma. She has passed away. Her name was Clara Helt, my mom's mom. She grew up in Chicago and raised my mom and her two brothers in Chicago after her husband died when my mom was only nine years old. But she was a working mom and raised them. She was a faithful Christian. My dad's dad, Christian Kaiser, he grew up over here off of Byer Road. He became a Lutheran teacher, and he raised my dad and his brother to know the Lord. And not only that, he inspired my dad and many of the cousins in my family to actually pursue full-time church ministry because of his model that he had given. And then, for those of you who may not know my folks, Roy and Eileen Kaiser, faithful servants of the Lord who raised me and my siblings, that there's never been a day that I didn't know who Jesus was. We can give thanks to the Lord for these kind of faithful people and realize that God gives us these blessings so that we can remain faithful to him. But it's not just in our families that God raises up such people. There's others within the congregation. I knew most everyone would recognize this gentleman, not just because of his store, but because of how he spelled his store, Bronner's Christ Miss Wonderland. And nearly every time he spoke, he gave a testimony to his faith in Christ. 
Elmer Cook was another one who gave testimony to his Lord and Savior, perhaps not as well known as Wally Bronner, but at the same time, he was bound and determined to share Jesus and his love with nearly every person he came in contact with, no matter what time of day or night it was, no matter where he was, no matter how appropriate or inappropriate the opportunity was. And as some of you might guess or have experienced, not everyone received Elmer the same way. He wasn't always the most diplomatic about how he presented the gospel, but present it he did. And on this day and during this month when we get to remember and celebrate the ministry of LWML, Lutheran Women's Missionary League, and then Lutheran Women in Mission, how faithful. What an incredible blessing God continues to work through the ministry of the LWML. There's a picture of blanket making that has happened in downstairs for, I don't know if anybody even knows how long they've been making blankets down there. And that's just a tiny portion of what LWML does. We heard little examples of that. Yesterday there was an actual extravaganza that many of you perhaps had a chance to be part of with, with speakers and, and activities and so forth. God blesses his church through the ladies who have been faithful to their Lord and continue to be faithful. And he uses them to inspire and encourage each one of us to remain faithful. In, my, in the sermon outline, you'll notice there's two more words under this section. And again, there's a word of encouragement to take their ideals, what they believed and what they stood for, their behaviors and, and their um, attitudes Take them as your own. That's how we learn and grow. But at the same time, I think Paul would give us this caution as well, and he would say, don't make them idols. Don't turn them into things that are greater than they should be. Don't fo focus so much on the person or what they've accomplished and, and their career or their character or their attitude such that that becomes the most important thing. No, the focus always, always remains on the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And that brings us then to our third part of the outline, and that is what does it mean to remain faithful and how do we do that? Well, for this, I invite you to turn in 2 Timothy to our text from chapter 2, where we are going to be reminded of a few words from that text. In verse 3 of chapter 2, we're told that part of remaining faithful is to share in suffering. Pastor Bender last week reminded us in no uncertain terms that we are promised that suffering for the sake of the gospel is bound to come. It will happen. All who desire to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be per persecuted, we're told. That's the nature of things. But to share in suffering does not mean that we have to go looking for it if we're not experiencing it right now in this time and place. But maybe we can look for opportunities to be of support and share in someone else's burden. I don't know if any of you took the opportunity, as an example, 
It made the news when that pizzeria in Indiana, because of their faith, because of their beliefs on what was right and wrong, and who they would or would not do a catering job for, the world crashed down on them. I wonder how many of us thought to look them up or their names and send them an anonymous or otherwise card of encouragement. Or to support those companies or, or, or corporations that, again, stand up for, for faith, for things that are important because of what God teaches us in his word. Maybe that's a way that we can share in the suffering for the sake of the gospel and be a blessing to others. Another thing that we're told in verse chapter 2, as Paul says to Timothy, take everything that I've, entru- that I've given to you, everything you've heard from me, he says, and he says, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. To entrust it is another way that Timothy himself is supposed to teach others. If you really want to learn something, for yourself, teach it to someone else. Ask anyone who's taught, and they will tell you they learned far more from when they had to teach something than when they just learned about it. To remain faithful, teach the blessings that God has given you of how to live your life to those around you. We also learn from the Word of God that the Word of God is not bound from verse 9 of our text. How many things can bind us? Not necessarily like chains that Paul refers to. But what about guilt? What about sin? Or sinful behaviors? Or addictions? Or fear? Or paranoia? How many things are able to bind us, to hold us back, to keep us from being free, the freedom that God wants us to experience in Christ. And when that happens, we can feel almost hopeless and helpless. But remain faithful by keeping in mind, first of all, that God's word is not bound. And when we put ourselves into the word, that same freedom becomes ours so that even in the midst of our chains, as Paul says, we are free. We also learn in verse 10, to summarize it this way, that when you experience sufferings for the sake of the gospel, it's not all about you. This is how Paul phrases that. He says this, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In other words, he doesn't endure hardships and sufferings for his own sake. No, he's got a mind to those around him who might be seeing this and observing this in, them, in him so that it might make a difference, that the elect, those whom God has chosen, would come to faith and believe in Jesus. Maybe that's what's going on. When we can't make sense of a situation and wonder, and we have a tendency to be uh, focused on ourselves and pity and so forth, maybe we need to remember that it's not all about us, and that perhaps God is at work 
using our situation to bring good to someone else. Finally, again, we end with those same words that we began this message with. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. To remain faithful means nothing more than to remain in grace, which is undeserved love. Because the truth is we can't do it by ourselves. If left to our own, we will deny the Lord. We will be faithless to him at time. We will make a shipwreck or a ski jump catastrophe out of our faith. But God has promised this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. That's how we're equipped with God's grace to remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.